founder of Cheyenne Studio. Today I'm speaking with Jen Lewis, the founder of Purse and Clutch, a handbag and accessories brand whose mission is to provide long-term employment to men and women in developing countries. Hi Jen, thanks for joining me. Hi Katie, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, I'm really excited to talk to you. Your products are beautiful and Even better than that, you have a really amazing mission and you have a very ethically concerned company, which is really cool in the fashion industry. And I think we're seeing that trend on the uptick right now, but your company has really been set out to do that from the beginning. I want to talk a little bit about how you got into this, what led you to want to create an ethical company and how you got involved in making your products in Guatemala, Mexico, and Ethiopia. Yeah, I think um, like all of the best companies, they get started by accident because there's a need. Um, And in my case, the need wasn't necessarily the consumer need because, well, I don't think it was a known consumer need at the time. It was a need for artisans in developing countries who were making some really incredible things to be connected with with people to buy their stuff and someone to tell their story. And um, I saw that through one of my best friends from grad school had moved to India after we had graduated. And she was working with a group that was doing this like very traditional block print, but in like really modern colors, which I hadn't really seen before. And they're making handbags and kind of thought like, that makes sense. Like they're taking what like this, like really cool ancient old technique and modernizing it. And then now they're able to support the men and women who are making it because there's a market to sell their stuff. So I got really excited and thought like this, this makes sense business wise because my background is a little bit like nonprofit, a little bit science, a little bit all over the, all over the place, but something about that just like really clicked. And so I got excited about that and started kind of seeing how I could work with them. We were a boutique. So I was like curating existing products from um, artisan groups for a few years and then launched the, my own person clutch label with the, the three different, three or four different groups that we're partnering with now with kind of the same hope and mission in mind to be able to create jobs because the skill is there and oftentimes just need a little uh, design tweak or I get to, you know, sketch something out and see, see where it goes and um, have a really beautiful final product. Yeah. Yeah. So the artisans in these countries are making these beautiful products and it's just having a way to get them to America and get to sell them, but then also make sure they're getting paid appropriately for them is not something that really existed before. So you're able to kind of facilitate that through your business. Yeah. And I, I, I'm really intentional about partnering with a local um, manager in the area. So with our group in Chiapas, Mexico, there's a woman who lives in the area. She like is from there. She knows what a fair wage is. Cause oftentimes you can ask an artisan, like how much, you know, how much for this, how much is it going to cost to produce a run of these bags? And they'll lowball themselves because they're, they just, they don't know. They don't understand a living wage or a fair wage or 
paying for samples or they just don't even understand some of the like global concepts that most factories would implement. And so then we can go in and say, yes, like you're saying it's, it's taking you this long, but don't forget, you know, we have hardware costs. We have your design expertise. You're, you know, you're tanning the leather yourself. It's not just the cost of the leather. It's like you're this like amazing skill that you're bringing to the table that we want to compensate you for, for what you deserve. And so, yeah, there's definitely like, at, it's kind of funny. It's like the opposite of business 101. Or like, <laughs> no, we need to pay you more. Like you're worth more. I'm going to increase my costs of these bags to make sure that what we're doing is, you know, creating jobs where men and women can support themselves and their families. And then I think that can start to break that, that cycle of generational poverty that we keep seeing. Right, right. So by increasing your end price and what you're going to charge the consumer, then you're actually able to educate the, the workers in these countries on what they should be making for the products that they're creating rather than just what the materials cost alone. But then it kind of cycles back because when people learn that they're being made really well with these great materials from people who are working really hard, they're willing to pay more money. And then that whole business plan ends up kind of paying for itself because it works out for everybody. Totally. I feel like when people actually see the process uh, that goes into making it, usually the response is, this feels really inexpensive. Like, I feel like I should be paying more um, because then you kind of realize, oh, I'm not just comparing this with like a, you know, a, a fake leather bag that you could get at kind of a big box store. Like, it's not fair to compare the pricing of those things because the whole process is just so different. And then I think you start to really appreciate the work that goes into your bag and then you want to wear it more and then you don't need as many bags. So then you're buying less and then you have something that you love and that you're really proud of and you're using, you know, we use all real natural materials. So they're going to last longer. So it kind of like fits into this like really nice um, wheel that starts moving kind of people up in terms of development and community development. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit more about this idea of ending the cycle of poverty. You mentioned that in, in one of your responses, and there's a lot of different ways to be ethical or sustainable as a brand. Your way is to choose to work with these artisans in developing countries and give them jobs and create more job opportunities at a fair wage. How is that going to help end this cycle of poverty? And why did you choose that particular direction to help and bring ethics into your product and your company? Yeah, I feel like it was, it was a process of getting there for me. I think it probably started, I lived in um, Honduras after I graduated from college. And there was this little like flower store at the corner of the like apartments that I lived in. And I was like learning Spanish. I was teaching like at a bilingual school. And um, I remember, and I like wasn't really good with kids. And there was this like really cute little kid, the flower shop. And I asked her, I was like, what are you going to be when you grow up? Right? Because that's what you ask kids when you're like 22 and don't know, haven't been around children. And she kind of looked at me and she was, I think with her, like with my broken Spanish, I think she basically was telling me, I'm going to sell flowers in this corner shop. Like what a dumb, ignorant question. Like I don't, ha that's not a question. I don't have a choice. And that kind of like, you know, really settled into my brain in terms of just this idea of not having a choice. So like, if you can't ever do anything else, if you can't go to school, 
you do whatever your parents do and that's whatever they can do to get by. If that's harvesting tomato, I mean, there's like no margin, there's no excess, there's no opportunity. So I think that was kind of in my brain. And then when I moved to Austin where I live now, I was working at a nonprofit where we were creating jobs for the homeless and the formerly homeless. So we were doing kind of like a gardening program. So we would garden in volunteers' backyards and then sell the produce at the farmer's market. And so it was like maybe 10 hours a week of work that we were trying, you know, we're just starting off, seeing what would work. And I found that when, when a formerly homeless person would come into the garden and work and they would get paid for their work, like this level of pride and dignity that I saw much, I mean, it was like, it was incredible. It was like, it was changing. Like I could like see the effect and the change of that. Much less like, I mean, when, when I look for jobs, just knowing, you know, when you don't have a schedule, when you don't have an identity, I mean, there's just, there's something about a job that I think even beyond the monetary aspect that brings dignity. I think work is good. And I think, I think maybe we're all experiencing that on different levels with the coronavirus and not having job security in, in kind of a different way, like work is good and it brings something inherent. So I think kind of the, the mixture of those things and then seeing that it wasn't like I needed to, to go into Mexico and teach leather working. Like that's not what I'm bringing to the table. Like the skills exist. Like I'm bringing in to the table saying, what if we took this like really cool bag that you already make and what if we made it fit a 15 inch laptop and it's a shoulder bag now and like it has these color palms and like what if we really work together and i i can i can value what they are already bringing to the table i'm not coming in and saying let me help you <laughs> it's like no let's be partners like what you have is what i need and what i have is what you need and like and i think that that's what the consumer needs like we need to be connected because we are connected and we need to feel those connections yeah there's two things in what you just said that I think is really interesting. One is what you were just mentioning, this idea that you are essentially partnering with people that have different cultures and come from different backgrounds and different skills and coming in and coming with a very American viewpoint of things we might as consumers want in our country and then taking these more traditional products and crafts and things they're already making and tweaking them so that an American consumer is going to find a modern day convenience to it, which from a design perspective adds a lot more value to it to be able to sell it in America and give us a reason. But then it's also for the consumer here, bringing us things that are so much more unique and authentic than what we're used to having in say our regular laptop bag or something that we're expecting to buy here. So combining these two worlds is a really interesting space to play in from a design perspective and you know kind of combining the traditional and the modern and one culture with the other and blending them is really what makes your products unique which is fascinating and and really cool the other thing touched on that i think is really interesting is this idea that when people work and earn their money they feel this level of accomplishment and respect that they don't have when you just donate to them. And I want to talk a little bit more about that. The difference between giving someone a job and giving them a wage where they feel like they're earning what they deserve to earn for a service they're providing rather than just maybe having a business where you buy one, give one or donate your proceeds to someone. Can you talk a little bit about the difference between these different ethical and ethical business models and how you might think 
creating these jobs in the long run might be better for the community versus what these other programs might provide? Yeah, I think, so again, my time living in Honduras was really important to me (laughs) in terms of like what person clutch looks like now. I had been volunteering at kind of this like feeding center, child sponsorship, like, and now looking back, I'm like, I don't exactly know what it was, but this nonprofit that was doing really good work and they were really providing meals to kids that otherwise wouldn't eat, which is super important. I think that that is after like the relief stage of like a crisis. Like, yes, like give people food if they, if there's no way to get it, like a hundred percent, like give that away. Don't make them work for it. Like that is relief and very important but I think it needs to move forward into the development stage. And there's a book called When Helping Hurts that really talks about the different stages that I had found really helpful. At this center, you know, we would have shoe drops and then the next week the kids were, you know, didn't have shoes again. So I would ask like why, you know, I thought shoes seem important. These are like rocky roads, like you need them to go to school. Like everything about shoes seems really important. And they said, yes, but we needed to eat. <laughs> That's more important. So I think that I, what really, what really um, struck me there was that like, who am I to know what this family needs and who am I to dictate that? I think that there's some really great services of nonprofits that can come and partner alongside and can say, oh, you need help saving for something? Great. Like, I don't expect you to do it on your own when you don't have any resources. I couldn't do it on my own if I didn't have any resources. So like, let's like, partner and walk alongside. But when it comes to, yeah, when it comes to like how someone spends their money, I think that they probably know best of what they need. And, and if they don't, cause I know sometimes I don't know exactly how should I say for retirement? Like that's maybe when some of the like nonprofit like services could really come into play. So I think it can be a partnership. I think it always depends on how it's done. And are you talking with the person that you're, you know, that you're trying to serve. Um, there's a documentary called Poverty Inc. that talks a lot about that, that um, says like, generally like, what does a person in Africa need? Like ask a person in Africa, like you don't, you don't need to make those assumptions. And so I feel like that's a really important kind of cornerstone to figuring out how to make sure that, that it is actual help and not just making me feel good. Yeah. I mean, it makes a lot of sense. If, if you earn money and you can spend it however you want, you're going to feel better about yourself rather than just having to take whatever you're given and say thank you and, and still maybe not have everything you need. Yeah. Yeah. How have you found the communities respond to you working with them when you make connections and you come in and you're partnering with new people? Do you feel as an American the sense of partnership and inclusion? Do you feel like an outsider at all? What's that kind of experience and interaction like? Yeah, early on, I think I tried to have more of those interactions. I, you know, I, I got to travel to Ethiopia and I got to be a part of like watching the process. And part of it was me like making sure that everything, you know, was as, a, as the, um, the manager was saying that it was. But then I realized that then I was approaching that relationship more like a friend and you can't run a business that way. So like we would get products that weren't the quality standard that I needed. And I would have to say, actually, I can't sell these. And if I can't sell these, if I can't stay afloat as a business, then like I can't buy anything from you and I can't do any sort of support. So I realized that I I needed to kind of step back and it needed to be this like I need to be the director and there needs to be a local manager that is like really 
really in tune with the needs and, you know, figuring out what an appropriate salary is and figuring out even when we were working with a group in Guatemala saying like, we need a three strike program. Like if the first time you bring your fabric in and it's so off from what we'd ask for, then like that's one strike, you know? And like, we, we have to have some sort of quality, quality control and, but then you can always try again the next season. So it's like, you're not out for good, but it's like, no, we have this quality standard. And if you want to work with other brands, you, you know, if you want to continue to find other work and expand one day, this is a really good skill. And so also I think there's an inherent dignity too of saying like, no, I believe that you have, like, I'm going to treat you like I would treat any other person in my business. So having that, that separation has actually been really good. Um, and I think it's kind of, sidestep some of the like potentially weird places because definitely well, I remember specifically when I went to visit our group in Guatemala they just kept saying thank you thank you thank you and I'm so I'm already like almost six foot so I'm like twice as tall <laughs> as most of the women that we were working with and I have this photo of me with like a, a weaver and a seamstress on each side and I'm like there's something ab about that that like feels off and like I need to, I need to run the business side of things. And then I need to let someone who's local, like really address like the community aspect and the community needs. So I've kind of grown into more of a separation, even though like, I want to be the person living in Guatemala and like doing all of that, um, hands-on stuff, but that's not, that's not the role that, that makes sense for me. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of funny, I think, in one way, it'd be like great to interact with everybody that's making these products, but in another way, then it's kind of like the thank you, thank you feels weird because you're not, yeah, you're trying to help, but you're also running a business, so you're not just giving money away and you don't need to be thanked and it feels kind of like yucky at some point, I would imagine, where you're like, I don't want this, mm -hmm. but you do want to help them and you want to help them make a living. So you want to do good, but like the recognition's kind of unnecessary. And then the other part that I want to ask you about is this, you know, quality control and quality assurance. I, working with individuals who maybe haven't been employed in this way before, I'm sure creates additional challenges. Like maybe they don't always make the same product or maybe it's not always the right quality. Why do you think some of that happens and comes to comes into play? Do you think it's just the lack of experience in having a boss and working for a corporate, like not a corporation, you're not a corporation, but working for a business? And what other challenges have you run into in, in working with people who might not be used to kind of our American business structure and, and our expectations? Yeah, I think a lot of it is inexperience. I mean, oftentimes they're used to making whatever bag they want, whatever, you know, oh, it would be fun to make this bag today. So I'm going to make this bag today and I'll take that one to the market. And if it sells, then maybe I'll make another one or maybe I'll try a different color. It's like almost more of like working with a true artist. And then we're like coming in and saying, okay, like supply chain, like we need you to make a hundred of these and they have to be exactly the same. And like, I think working with any artist, you would kind of get that like pushback. And then I think some of it is cultural too. So early on, you know, we would say, can you make 250 of these wristlets in a month? And they would say, absolutely. And then the ship day would come and they hadn't finished any of them. And they were like, oh no, we'll get them to you. I'm like, okay, at some point we, you know, we're having a communication breakdown. Like you can actually tell me that it's going to be late and I'm not going to fire you. I'm not going to not pay you. I mean, I think there's some fear. There's probably some bad relationships in the past that 
we're having to work through and like kind of really build that trust with the groups of saying like, no, you can really be honest and actually I need you to be because I need to communicate that to the next, you know, whichever, you know, boutique that we're partnering with that it's going to be late or if we have pre-orders. Um, I think the other way that we've have kind of worked to try to, to try to kind of fit more into the world that they're living in instead of just forcing them to fit into my like supply chain world has been just to really embrace like small batch and that, you know, if I can say, you know, if you can do 50 of, of these bags, great, we'll do a run of 50. And if they sell well for us, and if you still want to make them, then like, we'll do another batch of 50. And I'll, I'll just plan on retaking product shots. I'll plan on doing different editorial photos. Like, I won't try to make them the same bag. Um, because they're probably not going to be because it, and some of it too, it's like, it's the dyeing process. Like with the, the leather that the group in, um, Mexico does, they like, they use charcoal. They like dip it in this like lime water. I mean, it's like, and then it dries in the sun for a certain amount of days. And so, you know, I get reports back of like, oh, you know, things are going to be late this time because it hasn't been sunny. I'm like, oh, there's nothing you can do about that. Like, <laughs> great or like it's too sunny and so then it ends up a lighter brown or a lighter black I'm like, you know what instead of fighting it I'm going to embrace it and I think that's really cool that like sometimes we'll do a sample of something and like it's truly a one-of-a-kind bag like it's not a marketing pitch like there really is only one of these in the world because each one has its own signature um, because it is handmade so trying to kind of find that balance between when to when to embrace kind of the art side of it, but then we do need, we do need to scale because I want to hire more people and I want them to hire more people and I want their kids, you know, their sons to come to work with them and have jobs. And so it's like finding that balance between what makes sense. Yeah. I mean, I think it's really cool that everything's unique and individual. And the funny thing is, is we're so used to shopping at big stores where everything's symmetrical and perfect and exact and one looks exactly like the other that we're not used to as a society anymore having handmade individual things where it kind of might look like the picture but there might be something that's a little bit off and these imperfections that maybe consumers would normally return something for because it's not exactly like the photo are actually really beautiful and it's what makes something something unique and it would be great i think if as a society we could embrace that a little bit more and kind of go back to this idea that handmade things and things that are a little askew or a little off are really cool and really unique and not everything has to be cut out of a cookie cutter and made in a factory and exactly the same. Yeah. So I don't know, there, there's like a societal shift that would need to happen to really embrace that at a larger scale. But I think it's starting to with this idea of shopping local, whether it's for groceries or goods or really anything. I think that movement started a few years ago and I think it's more and more happening around the world. And I think people are starting to really appreciate that again. I agree. And I think when you're carrying a bag that, that is interesting, like someone's going to stop you. Like every time I carry this, like one circle, like laptop bag that I referred to, it's like embossed. I mean, it's like 16 inches. It's like a huge, like epic bag. Anytime I carry it, people stop me and they're like, tell me about your bag. And it's so much more interesting of a conversation to be able to say, oh, it was handmade in Mexico. Let me tell you the details then. 
I got it on sale or, you know, or whatever the like ending conversation point is. It's like really a fun way to connect to people because it's people that are going to appreciate that sort of handmade process. And like, then you've connected with someone and then you might notice their shoes and then ask them where that come from. And then you can kind of discover new brands and, um, and in that kind of way. And it just seems like a richer way to interact with people. Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, any kind of artisan work has that unique feel to it and it's always really exciting. And I think it's really cool that you're bringing that into the fashion industry where you can buy some unique things and we aren't all going to look alike and have the same stuff. And it's really this unique product that's, able to, I think, enlighten us on a cultural level, make us care and know we're spending our money in a way that matters, but then also make us feel kind of special because we're able to purchase something unique and individual. Yeah. Well, and it seems like it's a snowball effect in a really good way. I know, like for me, I didn't, I didn't really put the, the pieces together of like shopping ethically. And then I started the company. It was like, oh, no, like here's the need. And I'm working with, you know, these different artisan groups. And then it, you know, and then you start thinking, well, I wonder where my jeans were made. I wonder where my, what's in my toothpaste. You know, I mean, it just like, it kind of spirals. It can be overwhelming, but it's also, it can be really exciting to then think, okay, next time I need a pair of shoes, like I'm going to really like look and find something that I love that like actually reflects my values. And I think that, yeah, that those are going to be the things that are going to kind of change and transform the fashion industry that can be a really dirty, gross industry to be a part of. Yeah. I mean, I think it's going to happen more and more. It already is. And especially with the economy and the way it's going right now, whenever you spend your money, spending it intentionally is good. And just thinking about each purchase more, not only how it affects you and your end of things, but where that money is going is a really important thing to do and for us to start considering more as consumers. Yeah. Yeah. I guess my last question for you is, just about where you envision this going in the future. Working with all these different communities has to be kind of challenging to find more, stay in touch, continue to grow, add more and more people to these these groups. What's your vision? Do you want to expand? Are you going to always stay in the accessories and handbag lane? How do you see it going moving forward? Yeah, you know, it's been such a slow growth anyways. Um, because it takes so long to even get a new product. Um, it's like we've, we've worked with our Ethiopia group for five years now doing our own designs. And we're just now to the point where I feel like I can sketch something out and get like a pretty good representation of, of, uh, the design that I'm going for. And that when I order, it's going to come in the leather that I ask for and not in a different one. So really, I mean, it, it it's slow fashion and, and lots of different, um, definitions of the word and so my tendency is to be like okay we're gonna have every type of handbag we're gonna have you know we're gonna get into all these different textiles I think that was initially my goal and now I think it it is much more like what is like the the next step like the next step is how do we really develop with our Mexico group to do more and more products um, so they can then hire more and more people and then in the same way that I feel like our Ethiopia group is like it's running well it's like a well-oiled machine like I feel like I can like kind of place an order and it, and it shows up and like that feels magical and that took five years. Um, and I, I think that with my experience and with this group in Mexico, that's not going to take as long, but I anticipate it being similar slow growth of like finding another group that has a textile technique that we can tweak, that we can find products that people love, 
that kind of fit into our aesthetic that also there's like a local person on the ground that can make sure that things are, are being done ethically and there's a community development aspect. So, so far it's been pretty organic, which is like, again, like the opposite of business 101 where like you like have your forecast and you like hit these goals, which is what I think I did early on. And now I'm, I'm kind of realizing like when the time comes, when we're like, when I feel like my attention doesn't need to be quite so much on our, on our newest group, then like, then I can kind of just put feelers out and see what kind of that next that next group could be. I've got lots of connections in Guatemala. I was able to go to Antigua, like a, a buyer's conference, maybe six months ago and have all these connections, but like we don't have a product yet and we don't have, it's, we're not quite there yet. So it's like we have a couple of the next steps down the road, but, but I think some of it too is, is kind of letting the consumer catch up in some ways, like the consumer catching up to saying like, yeah, I really do care about how things are made and I, I want things that are special and like you said, like it's happening. <laughs> and so I think that we're going to have a really nice convergence of those things in the next few years. Yeah. Yeah. I really like the term that you use, which is slow fashion, you know, the opposite of fast fashion, something that's sustainable and ethical and it's going to last a long time. And it sounds like that's really what it is. And that's really kind of what your expansion plan is too, not to try to expand and take over the world and do everything fast, fast, fast. Like we think the American dream is, but to really slowly work with these different communities to help them build and grow and understand and form real relationships so that you're deepening the ability for them to expand as well. And that's kind of your platform. It's less about the, the end goal of the e-commerce sales. While I know that's important to have a business and to keep going, it's more about working with these different communities too grow their business, which essentially grows yours. So it's almost like more of an education plan than a business plan, but it will drive the business in the long run, which is really cool. Yeah, totally. Exactly. Yeah. Well, thank you, Jen, so much. It's awesome speaking with you. I think what you're doing is really exciting and interesting, and I hope more and more companies try to do similar things. Like, I don't know that everybody has the patience that you do to like really grow and develop this, but it would be great if they would start doing that more and more. I think it's what the world needs. And the products are beautiful. If anybody wants to check them out or buy them, you can go to purseandclutch.com. I was just looking at it a few minutes ago and I see some things I would like. So if anyone wants to buy me a gift, I'd be into that. <laughs> um, but thank you, Jen, so much. Yeah, this has been great. I really appreciate you taking the time to, to ask the questions and to get to know the whole process. That, that's really important to, to me and to the business. And I, yeah, I really appreciate you having me.